to uh, have a special word of prayer for Pat. Uh, Pat was not here last Sunday because he has to work. He's not here today because he has to work. He can't be here next Sunday because he has to work. And so we just want to lift him up that God is going to open a door for a, uh, a different job uh, or, uh, or he's going to find favor with his, his boss that will uh, enable him to have off on Sunday because he really wants to be here. And so he, when he took the job, he explained to them that he had commitment on Sunday morning and that doesn't seem to matter now to them. So we need to, we need to pray that God's going to open doors. And Pat's such an instrumental aspect of our worship service. And we praise God for Jill that she's willing to come and, and play and we, we're thankful for her that she's willing to do that. Uh, but uh, uh, we also want to pray for Pat. So let's, let's pray briefly for our brother. Father, we just want to lift Pat up before you right now. Father, you know what their family needs are. You know what, what's going on in Pat's heart and in his mind. And so, Father, I just pray that you'll open the door, that either a new employment will be provided or, Father, he'll find favor with where he's working now so that he can be off on Sunday mornings. Father, we thank you for Pat and the, the amazing gift that you've given him. Just pray your blessings on him. Father, we just pray for his family. Pray for Junko. Pray for Kelly and Angela. Father, we lift them up before you also. And Father, we just pray that you will have your way and your will in this situation. And we commit it unto your hands. Into your hands, Father. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I wanted to to read, as soon as I find it, our doctrinal statement concerning the Bible. What is it that our church believes concerning the Word of God? Next Sunday we're going to be talking about the Trinity and what it is that our church believes concerning the Godhead or the, the Trinity. What an amazing topic that is. So... Come with your Bibles and come with uh, uh, your questions, and hopefully they'll be answered next week as we talk about the Trinity or the Godhead. What is it the St. Louis Bible Fellowship believes concerning the Word of God? We believe that the entire Bible in its original writings is verbally inspired of God and is our absolute authority. As believers, we are instructed to study the Bible rightly dividing God's Word. So here at Bible Fellowship, we believe that this book is God's holy Word. We believe it is infallible, without error. We believe that it is plenary, which means complete. And we do not apologize as a church for believing that this book is our source for absolute truth. Several years ago, I was on an airplane flying someplace, can't remember now, and uh, the, the aisle where I was, uh, or the, the row of seats where I was sitting, uh, I had an aisle seat, and there was a guy next to me, and then there was another guy, and the flight took off, and these two guys reached down and got their briefcases and flopped open their Bibles and, and started reading. And I thought, well, yeah, that's good. I'm going to have some fun with them. And uh, as the plane took off, and uh, I asked them, I said, do you really believe what's written in there? 
And one guy said, y- y- yes. And the other guy kind of looked at me funny and said, yeah, I do. I said, are you saying that you believe all the miracles? Well, yes, we do. Do you, do you mean to tell me that you believe that Jesus walked on water? That a man really walked on water? Yes, we do. I said, do you believe... <laughs> You believe all that supernatural stuff that's in there? The guy, one guy said, yes, I, I believe that. I said, do you mean to tell me that you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, that He and He alone is the way to the Father, and that the only way for us to have salvation is through Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that He sent His Son, and He said, hey, wait a minute. He said, you believe that too, don't you? I said, yep, I believe that too. As we get started in this study, I want you to know that you do not have to be ashamed of believing that this is the complete, infallible Word of God without error. You may not be able to debate the issue. You may not be able to point people to all the facts and all the arguments in support of why you believe the Bible is the Word of God. But let me tell you something from the get-go. The facts are on your side. You do not have to apologize. You might not be able to prove the argument, but you're right to believe that this is the complete and perfect Word of God. Folks, this book has stood the test of time. This book has stood against the fires, the scorching effect of skepticism. It has stood against the hammering of skeptics the ridicule of intellectuals, so-called intellectuals, down through the ages. And this book has suffered at the hands of fallen man more than any other book anywhere at any time. And yet today in pulpit after pulpit across this great land, men of God are standing and declaring it to be the truth of God's Word. That in itself is argument enough that it is alive, that it is powerful, and that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, as Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us. This is the Word of God. The famous archaeologist, William F. Albright, William Foxwell Albright, who himself was a skeptic and who did not believe God's Word, and actually set out in his archaeological digs to prove that the Bible was not true. Part of his mission was determined through uh, the digs and through discovery to find that the Bible was in error. In the last years of his life, the conclusion that he finally came to, this noted archaeologist, this brilliant, brilliant man, made this statement. He said, the Bible is right after all. After all those years of trying to disprove it, and boy did he try. The conclusion is the Bible is right after all. Now fallen man still continued to try to rip it to shreds. Matter of fact, someone sent me an email a while back, and I'm not sure if it was an actual email, I mean it was an actual email, I'm not sure if it was an actual picture that was actually taken, or if somebody had doctored it, but it's still tells the story. 
It was a picture of a, unific- of a, a Unitarian church. And it showed their sign. And this Unitarian church on its, on its sign outside said, Bible study this Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Bring your Bibles and scissors. Because see, man likes to look at this and go, boy, what, a, what great writing, what wonderful prose, what beautiful poetry. Uh, let's accept a portion of it and let's reject the part that we don't really like. And see, that's not the way to approach the Bible. This book, from Genesis to Revelation, is the Word of God. Now, I think it's imperative that as we look at our doctrinal position and what we believe as a church, our statement of faith, I think it's imperative that we start with the Scriptures. Not that all the other doctrinal statements, uh, positions are not, are not important. They are. But you see, all those positions are based on what? What do we believe about the Bible? So if you don't start out believing the right things about the Word of God, then all your other positions and all your other doctrinal positions are going to be messed up. So we're going to, we're going to start with the Bible because this is what we base what we believe on. Our position needs to be clear for this affects everything else that we believe. Now, this study is what we believe. I'm not here this morning to convince you that the Bible is God's Word. Uh, I'm, I'm not here to debate I'm not here to debate that issue. That issue is already settled. As a church, we believe this to be God's Word. We believe that this book is relevant for today. We believe that this book speaks to us today, and we embrace it as being God's Word. We believe as a church that this book, all 66 books of it actually, to be the complete revelation of God to us. We believe that there is nothing missing and there is nothing added. There are no books out there wandering someplace that really were left out that should be part of it. And there's nothing in here that really should be taken out. We believe it is the complete, finished work of God. You say, well, what about the Apocrypha? Nope. That doesn't belong in here. What about the Gnostic Gospels? Nope. They don't belong in here. As a matter of fact, those are just two examples of what the canon is all about. See, the canon means a standard of measurement. And the Word of God, as presented, had to maintain a certain standard, had to reach a level of being noted as being inspired of God. And those do not measure up. Even the Jews did not accept the Apocrypha as being part of the Word of God. See, the Apocrypha was not included into the Catholic Bible until 1546. Columbus had already discovered America before the the Catholics put the Apocrypha in the Bible. Hasn't been that long ago. It does not belong. It did not measure up as the other books here did. We believe it to be infallible, which means without error, that it is God's revelation of Himself to man and details His plan and His purpose contained within the pages of this book is how God has and does communicate with man today. God does not communicate with man in any other fashion today other than through His Word. And I say that to say this, beware of anyone who comes up to you and says, God gave me a message to give to you. If somebody comes up to you and says, God spoke to me, 
hightail it. All right? Because God is not speaking today. As a matter of fact, Sir Robert Anderson has written a book called The Silence of God. In this present dispensation, at this point in history, God is not speaking as He once did via direct revelation to man. His direct revelation has absolutely ceased. That does not mean the Holy Spirit does not convict you when you sin. It does not mean that the Holy Spirit does not lead you in the direction that you should go. But what does the Holy Spirit use to convict you? What does the Holy Spirit use to motivate you and to move you and to direct you? It is the complete Word of God. If somebody says, I have a message from God to give to you, ask them, well, how come God didn't give me that message? If God can speak to them, how come He can't speak to you? It's because God only speaks to us now in this dispensation of the grace of God through His Word. Matter of fact, turn with me to Colossians. Let's, let's get started in the Word. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Verse 25. Colossians chapter 1, verse 25 says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God, even the mystery which Dale sang about. No, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to His saints to fulfill the Word of God. The word there means fulfilled. It means bring to completion. God has chosen him. God has given to him that, that ministry to bring to completion the Word of God. That, what, what the instructions of God are to the local church is contained in the Pauline epistles. That ministry, that message was given to the Apostle Paul to bring to completion the Word of God, to fulfill the Word of God. There are no other messages. There are no revelations coming directly to man today. We have the complete Word of God. It's one of the features of this present dispensation. The silence of God. He speaks to us through His Word. No direct communication except through His Word and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. So if somebody comes to you and says, God spoke to me, there's no way for you to verify that, is it? As a matter of fact, let me give you a very egregious example that I just read about just in the last couple of weeks. Extremely egregious example. And I promise to make sure this is, stays clean. Uh, there are a group of folks out there in the emergent church who have started an online or an internet church. It's called the Triple X Church. And the founder of this church, he and his buddies, uh, have, uh, have gone online to, to, to start this church. And when the guy was being interviewed and asked, why did you start this church? Now, keep in mind, it's Triple X Church. And I don't recommend you go to the website. Some of the images there aren't suitable. He said, God spoke to me. God said one word to me. God spoke to me, and that's why I've started this church, online church. 
The word that God spoke to me was porn. Porn. So we've started this church to reach those who are involved in porn, those hookers and those strippers and all those people that aren't going to go to church. We've started this online church. Folks, if you go there, the images are pretty disgusting. Now, this book is our standard of obedience. This book here is our standard of service. This book is our standard for truth and for our faith. This book says, flee also youthful lusts. What does God's Word say about fornication outside of marriage? What does God's Word say about doing those type of images? Now, while we may applaud these people, I'm not going to judge their intent. Maybe their intent is to reach those people for Christ. I say God bless them. But their method is deplorable. And God did not speak to him and say one word. Porn. See, that's why we have to be so careful, folks. So careful as we look to God's Word. God has nothing, nothing more to add concerning His character, concerning His attributes, concerning His purpose, concerning His will, concerning His requirements. There is nothing more that God desires to add. We have everything that God has chosen to reveal to us in His complete Word. And we can trust it. I make no apologies for believing it. I make no apologies for proclaiming it as the inspired Word of God. And as a matter of fact, from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation, this book, the Scriptures themselves, proclaim to be divinely inspired. So it really doesn't matter to me what the world says. The world can say it's not the Word of God. They can try to scissor and glue it to pieces. They can try to rip it to shreds. I don't care what the world says concerning this. I believe by faith that it's the Word of God. And besides, we know who the God of this world is. So because the world says this is not God's Word, that it has error, that not every bit of it should be followed, why the miracles, why they didn't happen, and they try to demystify, we believe it to be God's Word. Actually, do you know how long the Bible, how long the Word of God has been challenged? Any idea how long it... When, when was the first time that the Word of God was challenged? Anybody know? In the Garden of Eden. It wasn't with the Age of Enlightenment. It wasn't with the, during the Dark Ages. It wasn't in the turn of, at the turn of the 20th century or the 19th century. It goes all the way back to the Garden when Satan said, Yea, hath God said... And, God, and Satan questioned God's Word there in, in Genesis chapter 3. And then Satan um, said that God was lying. Had, yea, hath God said. Then he says, you're not going to die. That's what Satan told Eve. Directly contradicting what God said. So right from the very, very beginning, God's words to man came under fire from our enemy. And don't think it stopped. It hasn't stopped. And what part did Eve play in that? What did she do? Huh? She, well, first of all, she listened. And second, she added to God's Word. 
Boy, you see the trouble you get into when you, when you add to God's Word? Satan questioned. He denied God's Word. And Eve then added to it. And just as soon as she added to it, boy, did that open the door for Satan to step in? Oh, it sure did. God told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's all God told them. What did Eve say that God said? Thou shalt not eat it or touch it. God had never told her that. God had never said that. So as soon as she added to God's Word, the trouble began. That's why we can't do that. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Chapter 3. Verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Why? Verse 17 tells you why God has given us His Scripture. So that you may be thoroughly furnished, that you may be prepared, you may be complete to serve God. You as a Christian, you need God's Word to function. As a believer, you cannot be thoroughly furnished. Don't believe that you can serve God. Don't believe that you can live a Christian life. Don't believe that you can be effective for Christ if you neglect His Word. That is the only way for you to be an effective Christian is to know what God's Word says and to believe that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is good for what? For doctrine. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Let me tell you what doctrine is. Doctrine tells you what is right. Reproof tells you what is not right. Correction tells you how to get right. Instruction tells you how to stay right. Pretty neat, huh? Those are the differences in those things. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And there's two things you need to know. Number one, by the time this Word was going forth, it was considered Scripture. Matter of fact, the very first Scripture the very first letter that the Apostle Paul sent to the church in Thessalonica was accepted as the Word of God. It gives us insight as to how they knew what was the Word of God. Look at, uh, hold your finger there, Second Timothy 3, because uh, we're going to come back to that in a second. But look at First Thessalonians, chapter 13. I mean, chapter 2, verse 13. First Thessalonians 2, 13. I'll get it right here in a second. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you received it not as the Word of men, but as in truth the Word of God which effectually, effectually works also in you that believe. How did they know it was the Word of God? Because the Holy Spirit was there to bear witness of it and it worked in their hearts and in their lives and as the apostles and as the prophets preached it, they accepted it as being the divine Word of God. Even here, as, and this was Paul's first writing, the church in Thessalonica. 
And when they heard this from Paul and what Paul was saying, they received it as being the Word of God. The purpose is so that every one of these men and so that you can be thoroughly furnished so that you can know what the will of God is. How did God provide it? How did God provide His Word? Well, it's very clear from that Scripture. On 2 Timothy 3.16, by inspiration of God, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Inspiration, the Greek word there, means to breathe out. It is the breath of God. God has breathed out His instruction. God has breathed out into chosen vessels to receive His Word. It is a miraculous and deliberate act of God to declare His revelation to man. And you can bet, if God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to die for your sins. If He loves you enough to do that, then He loves you enough to preserve and protect and deliver His Word to you so that you know what this holy and righteous God expects. God breathed out. Just as surely as God breathed life into man in in Adam there in the book of Genesis, just as He breathed life into man, God has breathed life into His Word. And He has declared His Word. And make no bones about it, When God speaks, it was known that it was the Word of God. And they accepted it as the precious Word of God. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the Word of the Lord, by the Word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. God spoke, and He called the universe into existence. And in similar fashion, God spoke His Word and moved on the hearts and minds of men through supernatural means and they accurately and precisely recorded His revelation. That is the way it happened. And I don't doubt that. You can let the intellectuals try to debate it. You can let the people deny that that's what happened. But I believe it with all my heart that men of God were moved. As a matter of fact, turn to Hebrews. Hebrews tells us exactly how it happened. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Underline this verse. Mark this verse. How did the Word of God come to us? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God who at sundry times and in divers' manners or various manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. God spoke to the prophets. And they declared, Thus saith the Lord. And He hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom also He made all the worlds. It was by the prophets that God spoke unto the people. An example of that is Jeremiah 15.19. Jeremiah 15.19 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord. Jeremiah 16.1 says, The word of the Lord came unto me. Numbers 11.16 says, The Lord said unto Moses. Exodus 3.14, God said unto Moses. On and on and on and on and on. As a matter of fact, I was going to have the list of all the different Scriptures where it says, God saith, or thus saith. Then when I looked at it, I said, okay, I'm just going to count them. Then when I started counting them, I thought, I'll miss Sunday church. There's just too many of them. This book declares itself to be the infallible, the complete Word of God. Thus saith the Lord. Look at Second Peter. 
Look at Second Peter, chapter two. I'm sorry, one. Second Peter, chapter one, verse twenty-one. Second Peter, chapter one, verse twenty-one. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. The prophecy meaning the word of God. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. As the Holy Spirit moved them, they spoke. God spoke directly. God spoke through visions. God's the Holy Spirit moved on men. That's how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John knew how to write the Gospels. Not that God came in and took control and they became robots in writing it down. God used their personality. God used their temperament. God used these men to declare what His Word is to them. And they were instruments of a holy, righteous God as they declared His Word. As a matter of fact, who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. How long did Moses live approximately after the Genesis, all that occurred there in Genesis? 2,500 years. So, for tw- so from 2,500 years until Moses, there, were no, uh, there, uh, there was nobody writing anything down. Moses is the one who was able to write, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Who told Moses that? God did. Who was it that knew about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Who was it that knew about Joseph? Who was it that knew about all the creation? Who was it that knew about all of those things? Moses didn't show up until Exodus chapter 3 or 2. It was God who revealed to Moses exactly what happened. And friends, I'm here to tell you, it is accurate. It is precise. It is true. It is God's Word as He reveals Himself to man. You've got to understand this. That the people of God accepted and recognized when the prophets spoke. They knew that it was God's Word. It was authenticated by the prophets and by the apostles that it was the Word of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Himself in John 5.39 talking about the Old Testament Scriptures says, in the volume of a book, it is written of me. In Luke chapter 24, verses 44, Christ talks about the law and the prophets and the writings or the Psalms. He gives credence to each one of those sections of the Bible. To the Jew, there was the, 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 the prophets, there were the writings, and there was the law. And Christ gave credence to all of that Old Testament writings when He declared that. And you can be sure that God left no doubt when He was speaking through the prophet to the people. See, here's what it all comes down to. It all comes down to a question of truth, folks. What you're going to believe about truth. Are you going to side with Pilate? And I believe that Pilate is the one who really represents lost man and his idea of truth. Pilate asked this question. Pilate, in his philosophical mood, probably folded his arms and said, what is truth? See, that's what fallen man declares. What is truth? 
Let's search for truth. Is that going to be your philosophy? Or are you going to side with the Lord Jesus Christ? And in John chapter 7, uh, John 17, verse 7. Actually, it's John 17, 17. What does the Lord say? Thy word is truth. So what are you going to do? Are you going to ask the question, what is truth? Are you going to openly embrace the fact that God's word is truth? Thy word is truth. I don't know about you, but I believe this Bible, I believe this book is God's word. And in, as a matter of fact, Christ in, in John 17, 8 explains how the, I believe, gives the perfect example of how the canon was tr- uh, transmitted. In John chapter 17, verse 8, Christ says, Lord, thank you for those you've given to me. And you have given me your word, and I have given it to these people, and they've received it, they've believed it. I think the Holy Spirit did exactly that as God's word is being proclaimed. Now, folks, this morning, we don't have enough time in, oops, in a 30 minute message to cover this whole topic. As a matter of fact, in our school, we just had an entire semester as we talked about the canonicity, and we barely scratched the surface there as we talked about the canonicity. We could actually spend weeks just talking about which English translation is best. But determining that is not our purpose this morning. Besides, I've made enough people mad this week. (laughs) I don't want to make anybody else mad. It's not an issue that I'm emotionally prepared to tackle. I'm going to address it. We'll address it one of these days. I'm not going to do it this morning. So I'm going to address this topic in general terms. As we look at God's message to us, I have a question. How many of you speak Greek? How many of you speak Hebrew? How many of you read English? As you lift your hand, lift the other one up and say, Praise God for the English translations of the Bible. There is no instrument on the face of the earth There is no object anywhere that has ever touched and moved and changed the face of the world like the English version of the Bible. In particular, the King James. Praise God for the English translation of the Bible. I prefer the King James. Just be very blunt and tell you I prefer the King James, but I'm not a King James onlyismite. That makes sense? I believe that the received text, the textus receptus, the majority text, is the proper, the, the closest to the original. Now remember in our doctrinal statement, we said we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God in its original writings. Well, guess what we don't have any longer? The original writings. And we're not here to debate and argue which, which English translation is the best. I believe that God's Word has been protected. I believe that God's Word has been preserved. We're not going to fight over whether it's the majority text or the critical text. We're not going to argue whether it's the King James Version of today or the NASB or the NIV. 
We're not going to argue that. What we're going to do is praise God for the English translation. That we can read God's Word. Praise Him for it. It's complete. It's infallible. Do you know we have over 4,000 manuscripts, Greek manuscripts, over 4,000 Greek manuscripts, some of them dating back to just shortly after the original was written. We have abundance of documents, both Greek and Hebrew, by the way. You know what this means? Is that we can take this abundance of documents and we can compare the oldest manuscripts to the more recent manuscripts, and even the more recent are pretty old, okay? There are some variants. There are some differences. But they are so slight. They are so few that it actually proves our point that this is the precious Word of God. Because as we compare them, we see that it's been protected. It's been preserved. As a matter of fact, there were a bunch of critics, a bunch of skeptics, a bunch of intellectuals, a bunch of translators that were going to get together and they were going to hack away and chop away and slice away and they were going to compare the variants in all the different translations that had been handed down, all the different manuscripts that they had, and they were going to collect the Byzantine, and they were going to count, get the Alexandrian, and, and they were going to get all of these things, and they were going to bring them all together, and they were going to put them in a pile, and then they are going to start comparing them, and they are going to prove that the Bible is just a hodgepodge and just a mess, and that they're really not, they're, it's, it's really not coordinated, and it's really not connected, and it's really not the Word of God. There's a quote, and I won't take time to read it. By the way, if you really want to do a thorough study, this is the text that we used in Canonicity. It's called The Inspiration and Authority of the Scriptures by René Pochet. It is probably the best book on the subject I've ever read. It's excellent. It's called The Inspiration and Authority of the Scripture by René Pochet. The man believed God's Word, does an excellent job. So if you want a copy, we only have two left. So let me know. I think... Suzanne has them in there for 14.50, but just we have two left. If you're interested, um, let me know. Uh, great reading. But one of the quotes he has in there with all these different skeptics and stuff. The quote says, "It was a waste of time. It was a waste of effort. It was a waste of money because nothing could be determined except the Bible is right." Isn't that amazing? Shouldn't be. We believe God. That God's Word is true. Let me read one quote in here, and it's time to quit. Turn to page 196. Oh, you don't have the book, so I will. Page 196 in this book. Here. This kind of sums up what we've been talking about. And I don't normally read from, except from the Word, but boy, this is good. Listen to this. This is a guy by the name of Gossen. G-A-U-S-S-E-N. And this René Pochet is quoting him. He says, When one thinks that the Bible has been copied during 30 centuries, that's 3,000 years, right? It's been copied as no book of man has 
ever been or ever will be, that it was subjected to all catastrophes and all the captivities of Israel, that it was transported 70 years to Babylon, that it has seen itself so often persecuted or forgotten or betrayed or burnt from the days of the Philistines to those of the Seleucidia, when one thinks that since the time of Jesus Christ it has had to traverse the three centuries of the imperial persecutions, when persons found in possession of the holy books were thrown to the wild beast, next the 7th, 8th, and ninth centuries when false uh, 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 decretals were everywhere multiplied, the 10th century when so few could read even among the princes, the 12th, 13th, and 14th centuries when the use of the Scripture in the vulgar, vulgar tongue was punished with death, and when the books of the ancient fathers were mutilated, when so many ancient traditions were garbled and falsified, even to the very acts of the emperors and to those of the councils, then we can perceive how necessary it was that the providence of God should have always put forth its mighty power in order that the Jews and the Christian church, especially during the Middle Ages, should transmit to us in all their purities those Scriptures. Basically, folks, I'm here to tell you that the book that you're holding in your hands, that the translation that you're holding in your lap is the Word of God. Delivered to you, provided to you by a God who loves you. Skeptics and critics have, a, have attempted to tear it to pieces. But the Word of God has stood. Why don't we have the originals? First of all, I think if we had them, they'd be worshipped. Knowing man the way we know man. Can you imagine the buildings and the coliseums and the palaces that would be built if we had the originals? And secondly, just because of the second law of thermodynamics, which says that everything deteriorates, it's kind of impossible. If you had the originals, what kind of shape would they be in and what would you be able to tell from them anyway? I think that's one reason we don't have the originals. The second reason is because I believe, folks, that it's to be an issue of faith. For without God, it's in, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's by faith that I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. It is by faith which pleases God that I trust this to be his word. And that is why, folks, without hesitation, I can hold it up and I can say, Thus saith the Lord. I believe it. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. Father, this morning we're thankful that you have guarded, you have preserved, you have protected, and you have furnished. Your precious word to us. And Father, I pray this morning that this word will convict our hearts, that it will move on us, that we might be your servants. Father, this morning I'm thankful that this word does not need protecting. This word, we are not the guardians of your word. 
but the servants of it. Father, your word is powerful, it is sharp, and it is alive. And Father, this morning we come recognizing that not one jot or tittle will pass away. Father, we come acknowledging this morning that the heavens and the earth will pass away, but your word has been established in heaven forever. And Father, we believe it and we accept it and we stand on this Bible as being your word. And Father, may we never back down from that in the face of controversy or in the face of persecution. Father, may we boldly declare, thus saith the Lord. Father, this morning I pray for, those, for anyone who's here who's never trusted you as their Savior. Father, in just the next few seconds, as the invitation is played, whether here or listening via Pound Talk, Father, I pray if there's anybody who's never trusted you as their Savior, may they realize that today is the day of salvation. May they realize that today is the day that they put their faith and they trust in you and they settle that issue. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in the holy, righteous, powerful name of God. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, Marge is going to play a hymn of invitation. And right where you're sitting, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, let me encourage you to do that now. This is the day of salvation. Marge?